If you're joining us uh, for the first time or the first time in a while, we are in the midst of a study on the Gospel of Mark, looking how Mark, the apprentice of the Apostle Peter, tells the story of the life of Jesus with these two principal goals in mind. At first, we would understand the answer to the question, who is this? Who is this that can speak and the wind and the waves obey him? We looked at last week. Who is this who the demons recognize and say, this is the Holy One of God? Who is this? Finally, Jesus asks of his own disciples, who do the people say I am? And Peter answers definitively, you are the Christ, the promised Messiah, the one that all of creation has been hoping for, has been longing for, but, but the implicit statement that Peter makes and the disciples keep asking is, is this, you, you aren't quite what we expected. See, we had our hopes set on this. We had our, our vision of what you would be here. Jesus, you're turning those things upside down. Jesus is more than what they expected. Mark isn't just concerned with that question. Mark presses on with the question, what does it mean to be a disciple of this Messiah? All kinds of teachers in Jesus' time pulled together a group of people and taught them and instructed them more specifically than they did the crowds. Jesus did this as well. There was nothing new about that, but Jesus was calling his disciples to something that was quite different than many teachers, rabbis around life of service and of sacrifice, a life committed in its wholeness to the proclamation that Jesus is this Messiah and that his life changes people and changes more than people. It changes whole communities of people and even nations in the entire world that had been groaning, waiting for those for this Messiah to come. Mark chapter 5 begins this way. They came to the other side of the sea, that is Jesus with his disciples in a boat, to the country of the Gerasenes. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, He was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, 
What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs in the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Father, for we know that when things are pleasing to you, they're best for us. Free us, Lord from the things that would ensnare and even shackle us. And may we follow Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, this man wasn't allowed to come with Jesus to be his disciple. At least not to accompany him with all these other disciples who were in the boat. Was there not enough room in the boat? Maybe. I don't really know that detail. Jesus seems to pick a small number of people, and if you've ever seen a a, a sample of of these fishing boats that sailed on the Sea of Galilee, you know that they're about the size for 13 grown men to relatively comfortably, but a little bit crowdedly, gather together in. It's interesting, isn't it, that that Jesus heals this man and then calls him to a different task than he does his other disciples. In other words, Jesus has different purposes and even makes people disciples sometimes for different roles in his kingdom. Now, there may have been ample opportunity at another time further down the road for this man to learn more about Jesus' teaching. But here, Jesus has a particular task for this man. 
And it is simply this. Without any of the theological background that he's teaching his disciples who are with him, without even perhaps a knowledge of the Jewish religion and practices, this man was on the other side of the proverbial tracks, the other side of the river, the other side of the sea in this case. He's on the side where there are pigs, which means they are Gentiles and not Jews. And without even all this information, Jesus says, go and tell people what I have done for you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have made you an evangelist for my kingdom. Without even the slightest bit of theological training beyond his personal testimony that Jesus had just done a marvelous amazing, miraculous thing to free him from not just one, but many demons. Jesus goes to this man. He, actually, the man comes to him, and it's not quite clear who's speaking here, for he has this legion of demons in him, a legion in ancient times with 6,000 troops. Now, was this 6,000 demons in, in him? Was it some great number? We really don't know, but it was many demons who are inhabiting this one man, and the man comes to Jesus and says, actually, he says nothing at first. He bows down. He bows down before Jesus. And then it seems like the voice of the demons is very clear. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Do not torment me. Now maybe this is still the voice of the man who's afraid of this power because he knows the power of spiritual beings around him from life, but he goes on it goes on to tell the story that Jesus, Jesus even seems to have trouble casting out these spirits. Isn't it interesting here that Jesus has to ask the name of the demons? I argue that probably Jesus already knew the name. But Jesus would ask people things about themselves that he already knew so that people could put a voice to who they were, to the troubles that they were going through, so that people could say specifically, this is who I am, this is my need, this is what I stand for. And there's something that can be learned from that in in hearing this, when we come to God in prayer, sometimes we ask the question, why do we even need to pray? Doesn't God know the thoughts before they're even in our hearts or, or, or much less on our lips? And Jesus says to us, of course I do, but I still want to hear you say the words. I still want to hear you say the words because in when we say the words ourselves, Jesus, I need help with this. God, I can't handle this. God, I keep doing 
this thing to the family that I love, to the people around me, and I don't want to do it. When we say to Jesus, Jesus, how amazing is it that you have done all these things for me and articulate the things we love about him in the same way or in a similar way or perhaps even better than we do when we say how much we love our, our mother or father or our friends or our spouse or our children. And we articulate the things that we hope they already know, but the words, putting it to words, carries intense meaning. Admitting who we are, good and bad, has meaning. And while the demons would not depart from this man initially, they were compelled to answer his question. My name is Legion, they say, for we are many. And they begged him. Now they they actually enter into some type of debate, uh, a, a negotiation with Jesus, surprisingly. They beg him, don't just send us out of this man, send us into those, those pigs. And amazingly, Jesus says, okay. Now I'll tell you, every time I read this story, I have a little bit of compassion for the pigs. <laughs> I mean, they were unclean animals in the laws that God had given to the Jews, but we know that Jesus in his resurrection declares all things clean, and, and he doesn't say that pigs are bad. They were unclean. They were, they were things that weren't allowed to come into the presence of God because God was holy and clean. God was set apart. In other words, they were a picture of what all of us are as human beings when we have sinned against God. The scriptures say that sin makes us unclean. But most of us think that when we're unclean, it makes us so that we can't be loved by God. But what the Bible says is that God has loved unclean things so much that he gave his only son to die to make those unclean things clean. I think it's right to have some compassion for the pigs. And it's a mystery as to why Jesus did just what the demons were asking them to do, except maybe, maybe this is it. That Jesus wanted the people around him there and everyone else who heard the story later to know the power that demons have in life. Power that leads even to the slaughter of not just pigs, but people. Jesus rescues this man, but what he is implying is that these demons would have surely led to the demise, the death, 
of this man if he was left unattended? See, demons aren't just cute little horned animated creatures that are kind of mean and whisper things that lead you into things you kind of wish you wouldn't have done but that you kind of like doing anyway. Demons are murderous creatures who are intent to kill in any way they can find. And they had no problem killing this flock or herd of 2,000 pigs. They didn't even bat an eyelash. They ran them straight into the water without a bit of compassion, and they were dead. Now, isn't it interesting that the, the pig herders, the pig farmers run off to report what has happened, and when the, the people of the town come back, you can understand the, the owners of the pigs or perhaps the farmers of the pigs being a bit upset and, and maybe being clouded in the judgment, but when the people of the town come back and see what's done and they see the, the, the herders and no pigs or perhaps the corpses of the pigs floating up in the water now, they, they don't even care that this man who had been completely insane and shackled and, and, and isolated from culture was sitting there in his right mind now. They say, Jesus, we'd prefer you to leave. It's not a question about what about the pigs, what about this person? What about this person and what it reveals about the culture in that area is that they are much more concerned with the possible disruption of their way of life than they are about the saving of a person's life. Now it's easy to sit on the other side of the sea and cast stones at that side of the sea and say, I, I would never do that. How can they do that? That's awful. But I think if we're honest, we can all dig down in our life and find places where we say, what if God took away everything that I love in this area of my life? and used it to rescue this one person who's really messed up, how would I respond? How would you respond? If God took away all of your wealth, all of your treasures, and used it to save some homeless person who's camped out down by the freeway right now. It's a, it's a tough question. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. My greatest anxiety in life is my bank account. what it's used for, being able to care for my children, being able to care for my family. What would you do? 
Would you even be able to notice the guy standing there, the homeless man put in his right mind who you may, hopefully you recognize this man, somebody you did recognize. Would you even notice it or would be so consumed with the loss of your wealth? Jesus asked this rich young lawyer who had followed all the commands. He was a Jew. He had followed all the, the Ten Commandments all of his life. And then he says, what else have I to do to be your disciple, Jesus? To follow you fully. And looking into the man's heart, knowing the man's thoughts, knowing his anxieties, he said, you need to go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He didn't say that to everybody, by the way. He said it to this man because he knew that this man had such security tied in with that wealth. And the man walked away and he wasn't willing to do it. He said, that was too much. Too great of a price for me to pay. What about that person? And you say, that's easy for Jesus to say. Jesus didn't really give up much. God's comfortable. He's got everything he needs. But that's the whole point of the gospel, is that God does have everything he needs. And even when he gives it to us, and we steal it from him, and don't return what we should to him in the form of our tithes and offerings, much less our lives and service or giving to the poor, he still has plenty like the the father who had given a third of his inheritance to the prodigal son and he squandered it. There's still plenty, but what could God give that would show us that he's willing to give up his own riches to save some? And the answer is he gave his life. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son of God, became human flesh and didn't just become a human being for a season. He took on human flesh for the rest of eternity. He became one of us. In order to show us that human lives matter, by the way, I hadn't planned to go this way. Yes, all lives matter, but certain lives we need to be reminded have not mattered in our culture. Oftentimes, those homeless people, different racial groups, people who struggle with certain sins that aren't the accepted sins that we like to joke about in community group and confess to one another. Jesus became a human being to show us that sinful humans were still created in the image of God. And while that image was broken with the fall, he was here to redeem those lives. And more than that, he was willing to die the death that we deserved so that we could live a life that he deserved. And in that death, He suffered a separation, a relational break between God the Father and 
God the Holy Spirit, Jesus was alienated with them for even a few hours or perhaps days, but that must have been an eternity for somebody who's never experienced broken relationship with the ones he loved most in order that we would know how much he loved us and continues to love us. You see the price that God was willing to pay on our behalf. He was willing to give up everything because he cared about us to that degree. Jesus crossed over the lake to the side of the unclean people, that is us, so that he could bring us over to the clean side of things. And he told this man, go and tell everybody around you. Now he had been keeping his profile relatively low in the Jewish side and telling them not to go and tell everybody. Word was still getting out. It was tough to hide. But here with the Gentiles, he said, go. Go and tell your story. You don't need to know everything. You don't have to have all the right answers. You can simply tell them once I was lost, now I'm saved. Once I was outside, hurting, chained to all of my sinful ways, I could not get free from those things. I was isolated. I was alone. But now Jesus has called me his friend. And Jesus has called me his brother, his Daughter, Jesus has called me clean. I know there are a lot of things that make us fearful of sharing the things that Jesus has done for us. And most of us live in cultures that just shun that. We're not the only ones. Of course, Russia just passed a law that made it illegal to communicate the hope of the gospel outside of the walls of a church building. I would suspect that this man was not very popular when he went back to the town and started telling people about what Jesus had done for him. It wasn't an easy task that Jesus had given him. But Jesus had given him everything and given him his life back. And the task was commiserate with what Jesus had given him. He calls us to do the same thing. Whether you have the gifts of an evangelist and all the answers of an apologist or a simple testimony that once I was lost and now I'm found. Go and tell others about it. If you stumble over the words, it's fine. If you don't have the answers, admit it. Come back and get the answers and go back and tell them. The dialogue is usually what matters more than having all the right answers at the right time. Was that true for you when you heard the gospel? Was, was it better? Was it better that somebody 
just had all the right answers at all the right times, or was it that they loved you and interacted with you and cared for you in meaningful ways and helped you through difficult seasons? You can go and tell others about the mercy that Christ has shown to you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for sending your Son to come down to earth and to bridge heaven and earth that we can have this hope in heaven and for it to have meaningful change here on earth, not just in our lives, but in the lives of those around us who we know and love. Thank you, Jesus, that you have entered into the messy situations of life and have power even over legions of demons. And this one lost man, and each of us in this room, Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Help us, we ask, by the power of your name. Amen.